Welcome to the Drinking with the Saints podcast with Mike and Alexandra Foley. Where each week, we mix a bartender's guide with the lives of the saints to help you celebrate the feasts of the calendar with liturgically correct cocktails. Let's get started. Welcome to the Drinking with the Saints podcast. I'm Mike Foley. And I'm Alexandra Foley. And welcome, saintly sippers, to our holy happy hour and a happy Holy Thursday to you all. I know we're doing this on Holy Thursday, but it's really for Easter. And it just, I feel the struggle within that like, we're going to be talking about Easter. It's so great. And we still have the passion to go through three days of the Triduum. So close and we're yet so, so close. far away. It's been a long Lent. It seems like it, doesn't it? Indeed. All right. But we are providing for this episode wonderful drink suggestions to make your Easter Sunday supper glorious. I guess if we were going to do a podcast on any day of Holy Week, Thursday is the best since there was wine to the Last Supper. Indeed there was. All right. What do you got for me? Let us begin. Stay with us, O Lord, for it is getting towards evening. And bless our drinks and our conversation. Amen. Amen. And may we have a holy triduum and a glorious Easter. So we can't say... The A word? Well, no, not even the A word, (laughs) but Christ is risen. We can talk about the Easter greeting. Okay. Christ is risen. Indeed, he is risen. Mm. And we just did. (laughs) Yeah, there it is. That was well done. Check that off the box. Well, we have excellent drink suggestions to cover every aspect of your Easter celebration. But right now, we're going to prepare a cocktail for the occasion called the Easter Bunny. The Easter Bunny. Mrs. Foley, would you you read the ingredients to me? The Easter Bunny. One and a half ounces of dark creme de cacao. All right. A half ounce of vodka. Only a half? Only a half, Mike. All right. We're, we're keeping it moderate on Easter Sunday. <laughs> a teaspoon of chocolate syrup. No, that's for garnish. For garnish. A teaspoon of cherry brandy, Kirsavasser. Okay, so that we put, we float on top. So I'm going to take the creme de cacao and the vodka, and I'm going to put it in a shaker and shake 40 times. I'm impressed you know your recipes by heart. So the instructions are, pour creme de cacao and vodka in a shaker filled with ice and shake 40 times. Strain into an old-fashioned glass filled with ice. Oops, I got us martini glasses. (laughs) And float cherry brandy on top and drizzle with chocolate syrup. I've missed that sound so much. (laughs) It's been such a long Lent. That made a surprisingly big drink. I guess it's two ounces, but it looks wholesome. And now we will drizzle the Kirschwasser, one teaspoon on top. And there we are. To your health and holiness. Cheers. Cheers. Mmm, that's a tasty one. Oh, that is. So this is definitely a dessert cocktail. Mm -hmm. After dinner, not pre-prandial. Can we just say for Veritas that we have not actually put the chocolate syrup on it? We don't have any chocolate syrup. It's Lent, people. Well, not only that, we have 
Well, rather gluttonous children. <laughs> if we had had chocolate syrup, it would be long gone. So we tried to think, well, we'll just make chocolate syrup from chocolate chips. No, the kids ate that as well. They're just little munchers. Anyway, kids. but I would say that without the chocolate syrup, I think I might like it better because it's not quite as sweet. Oh, that's true. Yeah. It, it has a nice visual effect. I actually liked to drizzle the chocolate syrup inside the glass. But can you in see it? In a kind it? of a the, spiral. The drink itself is dark, so how would you see the chocolate syrup? Well, you see it around the rim. Do you know? That's good. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I have some you vague... Doubt my <laughs> skills? <laughs> I know. I probably just doubt my own vision. I have some vague memory of late Easter last year of having these. That's all I need. Mm. All right, so we're going to give you some drink suggestions for Easter Sunday, and then we're going to talk about some glorious Easter customs. So excited it's Easter. Some of them glorious, some of them really bizarre. Okay. All right. So what kind of wine should you have on Easter? Of course you should have wine on Easter, but what kind? Well, of course, it depends on the main course. What? What? You got a funny look on your oh, face. I was going to say all the wines was my this is This is radio, not TV. What's going on over here? <laughs> all the wines was all I was going to say. All right. Ham is a magnificent meat. You I do love, love your ham. Oh, I love ham so much. And I love my Easter ham. What's amazing about ham is its versatility with pairing a wine with. Oh, good to know. Let me explain. It depends on what aspect of the glorious ham you wish to enhance. Mm-hmm. So, so like the bone versus the flesh? No, the different flavors. So if you wish to complement the ham, mm-hmm. and I don't mean... <laughs> I was just going to say, <laughs> you look beautiful, ham. Hey, ham, looking good there, buddy. You ham it up well, ham. Exactly. <laughs> I knew you were going there. I know. I tried to cut it's you terrible. off, but I, I was too late. Yeah, no, it's too late. That ship had sailed. So pineapple complements the ham. And if you want to follow the path of the pineapple to complement the ham, you should use a dry rosé or a white wine with fruity notes. Hmm. The first one was a dry rosé? Yes. That sounds great. I don't like I don't like sweet with sweet. So already ham, you know, has a sweeter flavor, but then you add pineapple and it's got a lot of sweet going. We often do a bourbon sauce, but I like a really dry white wine. Okay. Well, if you wish to balance the saltiness of the ham, mm-hmm. then a sweet white, like a Riesling or Gewürztraminer. Oh, I can see that too. Like super cold. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm looking forward to Easter. Mm-hmm. Finally, to balance the sweetness of the ham, you could do a bold fruity red, like a Zinfandel. Hmm, a fruity red like a Zinfandel. What about a Beaujolais? It's fruity, but it's not bold, is it? I don't think of it as bold, that's true. Yeah. But fruity. Yeah. All right. Good question. All right. Lamb is easier. For lamb, you want a red wine that is fruity and acidic. Cabernet Sauvignon usually tops the list, but Malbec, Merlot, or any Burgundy are also contenders. Yeah. I think we're having ham at Chez Foley. Some of us, me, want to have a lamb as well. We have to have ham because Mike loves ham. I do. But I would love to have lamb as well. Or, and this is just probably almost Easter dinner blasphemy, brisket or some kind what? of beef. Our good friends, the Barneses, brought brisket one year and everyone ate the brisket, I know. I ate the ham. Yes, for days and days. <laughs> Absolutely. Ham sandwiches during Easter week, 
You betcha. I get a little tired of our Easter menu, but... At your tongue. <laughs> I'm hungry enough that I could, actually. <laughs> All right. Shall we turn to Easter customs? Indeed. So, Alexander, what are some of your favorite Easter customs? Um, going to Mass and wearing an Easter bonnet. <laughs> I actually rarely wear an Easter bonnet. I usually wear a veil, but maybe this year I'll do an Easter bonnet. Okay. I, I love the Easter egg hunt. It's so fun. Yes. Our youngest is 11, and so there was some conversation during our Easter planning with my oldest daughter, 24. Her name's not 24. That's how old she is. Um, <laughs> And like, are they, is, are they, the kids too old for an Easter egg hunt? We kind of thought about it for a second. <laughs> no, they're not. <laughs> and the college age kids will love it too. And their friends who are coming will love it. All right. So I like Easter egg hunts as well. We do the plastic eggs, fill them with like Hershey's kisses or whatever. The problem I have <laughs> is that here in Texas, they don't always harvest all the Easter eggs. Mm -hmm. And so in July, in the Asian jasmine, I'll find... A, a plastic Easter egg. A rotting plastic egg. With fire ants all <laughs> around it egg. and this gross melted Hershey kiss. So it's not very cool. Hey, since then we've changed. Have we? Yes. Now we only have jelly beans, which even what? fire ants don't like. Oh, you mean you fill, you fill the Easter egg with jelly, with jelly beans. beans? yes. Yeah. A jelly bean hunt would be really hard. <laughs> it would keep them busy for a long time while exactly. the grownups had a good conversation. Exactly. With their magnifying glasses. <laughs> Look, there's one up in the tree, I swear. I like it. Did you know that the tradition of the Easter bunny is actually not as ancient as you think? I learned this from reading Eleanor Parker's wonderful book, Winters in the World. Eleanor Parker, if you're listening, and I'm sure you're not, <laughs> we love your book, Winters of the World. So cool. So great. Mike has finished it. He wrote a review, and I am probably two chapters in. So very interesting. Explain it. She explains the Anglo-Saxon Christian calendar and all the cool customs that the English came up with after they became Christian. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I thought was an easy one was the Easter bunny. I had heard that the Anglo-Saxons loved the spring hare mm -hmm. and that after they became Christian, they transformed it into the Easter bunny. As it turns out, there's no mention of an Easter bunny until the late Middle Ages, hundreds and hundreds of years after the Anglo-Saxons had converted, and even after the Norman invasion. Mm -hmm. So what's up with that? Yeah, that's and really then, late. And then the rabbit the Norman invasion eggs. is what, 1044? 1066. That's what I said, 1066. <laughs> I got the two numbers together. I remember, I thought it was something about, I don't know about Easter bunny, but that it was a pre-Christian thing to... Dig up eggs. What was that? There's a, there's something about that. Well, um, the association of eggs with spring predates Christianity. That is true. But there's something about hiding of eggs. I'm sure like half our listeners have heard this because it's like kind of a thing that goes around on social media every year. I don't know. We'll but let I, you guys figure that out. But I can say that Easter eggs were a pre-Christian custom, but boy, do they resonate with the Christian imagination. Mm -hmm. Because think about it. You have new life springing forth from the rock-like shell of the egg. And Very it's a perfect analogy for the resurrection. Yeah, That, coupled with the fact that the early uh, Lenten fast abstained from all dairy products, including eggs. eggs. 
So you're abstaining from eggs for 40 days. You're missing your eggs. In the meantime, nobody told the chickens it was Lent. Right. So they continue to produce eggs. They so keep doing what chickens do. You got a ton of eggs and it's Easter. What are you going to do? Let's hide them. <laughs> hide them in bread. Mm-hmm, that's so right. So Alexander and I were part of a Ukrainian Catholic church for three years when we lived in South Bend, Indiana. Such a great liturgy and beautiful time of our life. And such, such a beautiful community. Mm-hmm. And so one of the Ukrainian grandmas taught Alexander how to make paska, which is Ukrainian Easter bread. And one loaf called for 18 eggs. That's right. And he made it in a coffee can, which you can't even get a coffee can anymore. Yeah, it was a beautiful, tall loaf that had like the rings of it from the coffee can, and then it kind of spilled over a little bit, so it was poofy, like a chef's hat it looked like. It was so many eggs. And so rich. So rich. But you could see like, we've been deprived, and you just go nuts. Right. So you- egg-heavy holiday. You eat the eggs, and then you hunt the eggs after hiding them, and then of course, you decorate the eggs. Right. Pasanki is a wonderful Ukrainian-Russian tradition where Pasanki, the word comes from the Ukrainian word or the Slavic word to write. Mm. You write the egg. Like writing an icon. Exactly. And every Pasanki is an icon. Oh, they're beautiful. Elaborately decorated. Every symbol has a meaning. And that is a really great activity with the kids. I'm just going to let our listeners guess between Mike and me, who was better at doing Pasanki? Mike, actually. Am I? You oh, your pisanki were beautiful. Oh, thanks. Mine are like none of these survived because the dog would eat them. Our dog, yeah, <laughs> between children and dogs, all of our pisanki, almost all. Our kids love this tradition, but yes, Mike, you are so actually crafty. You are much oh, more of a crafter I am than crafty. I am. Yeah, <laughs> he's crafty. <laughs> you are much more of a creative, and you have a really steady hand. You do beautiful work. Okay, small side note, but as long as our eleven-year-old son Johnny isn't listening. He's a huge fan. Speaking of crafts, I am making for him a coonskin cap. That's what I'm talking about, listeners. He's very crafty. He got a, a raccoon, a dead raccoon he found recently. Oh, well, that makes sounds like a roadkill. No. Uh, so I have been trapping raccoons on some recently acquired ranch land in order to get a wildlife management exemption. Because raccoons are predators who eat songbird eggs. We're so if you kill raccoons, you're helping songbirds, and the state of Texas rewards you. So I harvested a raccoon, mm-hmm. and I'm using its pelt to make an authentic coon skin cap. He's going to be so excited. All right, Me on. or Johnny? Well, you both will. <laughs> you have to make one for yourself next. Indeed. All right, so... What other customs do you like about Easter? Oh, uh, one thing I love that, that we've often done, something from my childhood, is that we have Easter baskets for the six children, and then they are somewhere in the house hidden, but then there is a jelly bean trail from their bedroom all the way around and kind of looping around to their Easter basket. Like color-coded jelly bean trails. I think what we do is we put the jelly beans, we put their name in front of it, because our kids all share rooms. So the three boys are in one room and it'll say James and he has to follow that trail. I can't color coordinate like all red, all yellow, like yeah, I do with their hard. hangers. And But they, yes, so they get to go to their hidden basket and they love that. And the kids that are, don't live with us anymore, 
probably going to come home and do a little search for that. I like it. Very good. So let's turn to the crazy side of Easter. Of course. We're talking to Mike Foley. Of course, there's a crazy side to Easter. There's some weird stuff out there, Alexandra. It's not practiced anymore, but I want to share it with our audience nonetheless. We'll bring it back. Okay, let's do it. All right. Are you familiar with Easter switching and drenching? Easter switching. So I think switching is probably smacking, Mm -hmm. but also I have like a little PTSD from from, uh, Epiphany. (laughs) Switch dressing, Mike? Is that where you're going? (laughs) (laughs) For Of all the holidays, we're not going to wear each other's clothes. So there were some pre-Christian fertility rites that survived on Easter Monday and Easter Tuesday. On Easter Monday, the boys would take birch twigs and run around swatting girls in order to guarantee their fertility. And then the next day, the girls would take switches and swat the boys to guarantee their fertility. That is really weird. Yeah. That's odd. Well, what's kind of cool is that there was once upon a time a society that... Fertility is good. Yeah, fertility was good. It wasn't the enemy. Let's get the pill out there. Right. right. Like, no, we actually want fertility. And then the other thing was drenching. If you doused someone with water on Easter Monday or Tuesday, it would also ensure fertility. Or Gatorade. Um, so that just seems weird. I, and, and in one way, like young boys and girls being like, hey, here's a fertility smack just seems like how early did they have the birds of the bees conversation? <laughs> or is it just sort of like it's fertility, but they don't know what it means. Uh, what does that look like? Cause that just seems like pretty early, assuming they're like eight years old to be like, Hey, smack Betty with this and she'll have more babies. My guess is farm boys and farm girls. Knew a lot Kind more. of new things yeah. <laughs> earlier than our kids well, do. Well, they'd already seen those chickens <laughs> and sheep and goats. Exactly. All right, we're moving on. Next question. What do you know about Easter heaving? That's what it's happens not what you think. When, you're, when your one guest drinks to never mind. Okay, <laughs> tell me. So there is a custom in England where uh, men would roam the village with an empty chair mm-hmm. and they would knock on the door and say, where's the lady of the house? That was too Irish, sorry. Where's the lady of the house? And You said this is British? Yeah. Okay. And so the lady would come out, and they would put her in the empty chair, and then they would hoist her and heave her and parade her around. Okay, so hoisting is going up high. What does heaving mean in that sense? Like going forward? Like carrying, you know. I only think of heave in that one sense that we're not wow. talking about. Heave ho. <laughs> Yeah. Like it's okay. It's a forward motion, I think. Exactly. Okay. So that sounds fun. Like, is she done making the meal? I mean, is she free at this point? I have no idea what this custom means. And it's not a fertility thing. It's probably for old ladies. So like, you need a break. I, I just, I just report the facts. I can't always explain them. That one needs more research. This is all from, <laughs> from Francis Weiser. Oh yeah. He's yeah. lovely. All right. I love you, Francis Weiser. Pray for us. Uh, but a little more research on that one, like where it came from. And All right. Okay. Next. How about the Easter walk? That's my favorite. Yeah, you're thinking the Emmaus walk. Oh, That's I am. different. Okay, yeah. we'll get to that. All right, so... What's the Easter walk? So the Easter walk... Like the Easter parade? Yes. So the Easter walk was the medieval precedent for the Easter parade. See. So 
you got new clothes on Easter. The tradition was Christmas was about food, Easter was about new clothes. Mm-hmm. And this was inspired by all the converts that would be baptized on Holy Saturday. They would have to wear white robes for eight days, the, the neophytes. Mm-hmm. Neophyte, that's right. Yeah, would wear eight, for eight days wear these robes. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of caught on, and so everyone got new clothes for Easter. And then, being you know the somewhat vain fallen human beings that we are, you'd go for a walk and show off your new finery. <laughs> do, 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 do. And that's so the Easter the walk... Of- became the Easter parade, where you showed off your new Easter bonnet and all the other good stuff. I do love that movie, Easter Parade, um, with Fred Astaire and Judy Garland. One of my favorite scenes, I'll just say very quickly, is that, I forget why, but she's trying to prove to Fred Astaire that she can get men to look at her. And so they're walking down the street, Easter Parade, with her big bonnet on, and he's going behind her to see if men look at her as she walks by. And nobody's looking, and so she puts on this crazy face. (laughs) <laughs> this bizarre, like pinched, weird, googly-eyed face, and all these men are looking at her like, "Whoa, hey, whoa, hey!" And he's like, "All right, she's got something going on." <laughs> it turns out she was just making a crazy face. Isn't that a cute little trope? That is a cute trope. Okay, moving on. So Judy Garland is trying to see if men are interested in her. Yeah, Fred Astaire needs to see yeah. that men are interested in her. My only question is: Is it straight men? What looking at her? Yeah, you know Judy Garland. Oh. <laughs> Holds a particular regard in the homosexual community. I'm sorry, I, I thought everybody knew this. That's right. It was Judy Garland. I was yeah. thinking Liza Minnelli, but both of them. Yeah, yeah. Wizard of Oz, right. yes, you know. Yeah. No, that's, yeah. that's, that's true. Yeah. So for straight men to take an interest in Judy Garland was, I cannot was speak sort for the, of the, the aim of the Easter Parade movie. I can't speak for the bit cast, but <laughs> it's such a funny scene. We've gone way too far. All right. Alexander does have a particular favorite Easter Monday tradition, which is called the Emmaus Walk. Which is actually kind of the origin of our Drinking with the Saints toast. Stay with us, O Lord, for it is getting towards evening. That is from the gospel passage right after the resurrection. Jesus goes and he goes for a walk and he joins these two guys. And it's like seven, eight, nine miles. Two disciples of Emmaus in the Gospel of Luke, mm-hmm. seven-mile journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus. He joins them, and he says, what are you talking about? And they don't recognize him. And they're like, are you the only man in Jerusalem who has not heard? There was this guy named Jesus. We thought he was the Messiah, blah, blah, blah. And Jesus says, oh, you slow and foolish of heart. <laughs> Did you not learn from Moses and the prophets that the Son of Man must suffer before he attains his glory? And then he proceeds to explain how the entire Old Testament points to him. And then they stop off for dinner, and Jesus feigns to go on, and they say, Stay with us, O Lord, for it is getting towards evening. And he stays, and he blesses and breaks the bread. And they knew him in the breaking of the bread. Did our hearts not burn within us when he explained the scriptures? It's also, fascinatingly enough, an early recapitulation of the order of the Mass. Mm -hmm. There's the word, the explanation of the word, the breaking of the bread. It's a procession. The kiss of peace. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's all there. Wow. It's really cool. Like a mini Mass. Exactly. So that gospel in the traditional Roman rite was read on Easter Monday. So Mm -hmm. it takes place the evening of Easter Easter Sunday. We had a busy day. Exactly. Exactly. 
But the Easter Sunday liturgy, of course, is resurrection accounts. Right. But on Easter Monday is read the Emmaus account. Right. And so there was a beautiful tradition of an Emmaus walk where people would walk around. And in French Canada, the Emmaus walk was to your grandparents yeah. to honor them. So in the new rite, it's not because the, the has the three-year cycle, so yes. do they have it like once every three years? I honestly don't know. Yeah. Anyway, it's so beautiful. And the Trident team, right, just have the Emmaus walk. Yeah. And, and then, it inspired these beautiful customs. Yeah. So we lived too far from grandparents. I mean, like a five-mile drive. Um, so we would just go over their house. But since they're no longer with us, we now take a family hike, and that's always really fun. Yeah. Yeah, and the kids are looking forward to it. Yeah, actually, some of our kids are like, can we come home? I want to make sure I'm home on Monday for the Emmaus walk. Yeah. It's a good time. Good times. I love that one. All right, what else you got for me? That's it, my love. I want to wish our listeners a blessed Triduum and a glorious Easter. Thanks for sticking it out through Lent with us, and we just wish you all the most beautiful resurrection of our Lord. Christ is risen. Indeed, he is risen. Amen. Amen. Take care. Thank you for joining us. Please get in touch with us via email at podcast at drinkingwiththesaints.com or on our Instagram page at Drinking Saints and find Drinking With The Saints book series at drinkingwiththesaints.com or wherever fine books are sold. The Drinking With The Saints podcast is produced by Back Row Media.